You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Hi, good morning. My name is Cindy Russo, and I help out with uh, women's Bible study, um, as well as lead a small group with my husband and along other things. I'm going to be reading out of Ephesians uh, 5 today, 13 through 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. I want you to see this passage. Um, While you're turning there, this isn't a prophetic word. It's like I know it. And you drive a black Honda sedan and you parked over at the Chick-fil-A parking lot. And that Honda sedan, you turn the lights on and off. You needed those lights on the drive here. You have not turned those lights off. Uh, And so either a friend's going to give you a jump or a ride home or I can provide some prayer cover while you sneak out and go turn off your lights. And so uh, let me say a quick prayer. Um, And it's going to be quick. So if you're in the middle, it's going to be, let's do this. Father, we love you. We love gathering as your people. And the truth is we need you. This isn't an intellectual exercise. Uh, We thank you for the intellect. We thank you for the deep thinking and historically rooted nature of our faith. Uh, But we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would penetrate our defenses, that you would quicken our spirits, that you would awaken our hearts to your beauty and grace, and that as we read your word, it would read us. We need your help. If you leave us on our own, we might leave uh, enjoying ourselves, but we won't leave different. And, And our hearts is that you would change us from one degree of glory to the next over the course of the next 35, 40 minutes. Help us. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Uh, It was three in the morning. Uh, I I mean, I know exactly what time. It was three in the morning, and I had my little sister pinned to the couch. And she was screaming the kind of scream as to invoke pure terror in everyone else in the house. In fact, I wanted to scream alongside of her, but my system was flooded with adrenaline. And I don't know if you've been there. The best I could come up with was a noise, something like, (gasps) And all the hair on my body standing up and unable to snap her out of her terror, I just pinned her to the couch. When you and I sleep, uh, our minds are are moving back and forth repeatedly throughout the night uh, between REM sleep and non-REM sleep. And in that transition, weird things can happen. You, You can just start talking. Anybody married a talker? So on my honeymoon, Lauren sat straight up in bed and said, wake up, Patty, it's Christmas, and then laid back down. Sorry. And uh, I didn't clear that one first. I apologize. And, um, and, and then some people walk. Anybody married to a walker? I mean, people just get up and walk all around the house. Might make themselves a sandwich or something. Like they, They'll get up and walk around. And for my sister, whether it was some dark force, some repressed memory, or, or just some natural occurrence, in that space between being awake and being asleep, she was filled with terror, the kind of terror that made her believe that we were all about to die, but it felt as real as possible to her, and she moved her body, and she screamed bloody murder, and I had her pinned to the couch as she screamed. 
Um, that space between asleep and awake is what I want to talk to you about starting this morning for the next 10 weeks. Um, the, the Apostle Paul has some concerns about the church at Ephesus. And his concern is that Christians, not non-Christians, but Christians have somehow, despite all they watched God do 12, 15 years earlier, are now so asleep, they almost look dead. And so he writes these words. This is what we just read, Ephesians 5, 13 through 14. But when anything is exposed by the light becomes visible. Well, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, and he quotes Isaiah 62. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, let me share the context of Ephesians 5. We're not just pulling these verses out of their context. In Ephesians 5, we're reading Paul's encouragement to the church at Ephesus about how to live as Christians in an extremely perverse and idolatrous city. Ephesus was one of the ancient wonders of the world. They were ground zero for finances in all of Asia, and they were ground zero for the worship of Artemis, or if you're more kind of Roman Greek, Diana. All right, and her temple was unlike anything, like it's beyond what you're imagining. If you've heard of the Parthenon, it was twice the size of the Parthenon. And worship of Artemis slash Diana involved hundreds, if not thousands of eunuchs, virgin priestesses, and temple prostitutes. And worship was unbelievably erotic and perverse. And it's in this, and by the way, that temple was the, the main bank in the ancient world. It was the center of economic power. It was the center of business. And it was the center of cult worship there in Ephesus. And the gospel slammed into Ephesus 15 years before this was written. 12 to 15 years, somewhere in there. And, and why that's important is because the gospel hit so hard in this community that a riot broke out. So what happened in this really perverse, really wicked, really broken city is when the gospel showed up, it spread fast. And as it spread, Christians started to divorce themselves from the economic activities which would have been necessary. They stopped the temple stuff. They burned witchcraft. But they, they walked away from kind of cultic sexual perversion. So They so pulled back that the idol makers of the day felt it in the bottom line. And they rioted against this new cult that was costing them money. Now, can you imagine the gospel slamming to a city so powerfully that the whole socioeconomic system starts to break down? That, that the reason that they were hated and despised, the reason that a riot broke out is there was no money to be made anymore from prostitution or, or, or drugs or like it just like the, the, the pool of wealth that came from debauchery dried up. And those who had tethered their lives to it, they started a riot, making all kinds of accusations against Christians, and it, and it blew up the city. This is how this church begins. And here we are 15 years later, and Paul's concerned. Why? Because they're steeping in it still. They're steeping in Ephesus. The church had found itself embodied in a culture that was counter to everything that Jesus asked of them. Found, it, found themselves uh, like just steeping in the slow, moral, perverse disintegration of humanity left unchecked by the love of God. And somewhere in there, Paul says, dang it, 
Some of you have been lulled to sleep. You've been lulled to sleep. Somewhere over the last 15 years, you had this kind of pinnacle experience with the things of God. I mean, you, you pulled out hard, man. Like you, you said, I'll forsake wealth to follow Jesus. I will forsake being normal to follow Jesus. I will forsake, you name it, to follow Jesus. And they pulled back hard and they established this light that, that blew up the city. And now, 15 years later, gosh, they're, they're asleep. Like so asleep, like he, he's saying they're dead. Like awake, like you, you're so asleep, your mouth so open, you're so still that it looks like you're dead. There's no longer any life in you. Uh, awake, and, and this is the kind of awake, again, when he's like, arise, and he's quoting uh, Isaiah, there are two kinds of parents in the house. There, there's the mom or dad that kind of comes into the room and clicks on the light and maybe scratches the back. It's like, hey, sweetie, mm, did you sleep okay? I know, it's early, I know. Would you, hey, we need you to get up, all right? We gotta get, you gotta get dressed, you know where your stuff is. Okay, we're gonna need you to get up. And then they kind of, you know, maybe back and like, okay, let me seat your feet on the floor. I don't want you to go back to sleep. And then they, they go on. And then there's the other parent, right? There's the other parent that does not care about that adrenaline dump. There's that other parent that just knows, I need you up now. I've got things I'm working on. So get it, because I got stuff to do. So I'm gonna make this fast and, and aggressive. This is that kind of, this is not scratch your back, Jesus, here. Uh, this is, hey, the house is on fire. Hey, get up now. Pop, pop, pop. Blanket off. Get up. You're gonna die. Get up. It's that one. It's that, oh no, I didn't set my alarm one. Been there? Oh, no, I said it for PM. It's that one. And, and so the, the things that stand out about this passage in particular is like he's writing it to Christians. Like he, he's not writing to unbelievers. Like normally when you read this, you think, oh, man, he's talking to lost people. Like wake up, come alive. No, this is written to followers of Christ. And we shouldn't be surprised if you know our Bible. I mean, the, the people of God are constantly falling asleep, constantly moving from rather than towards, constantly being lulled to sleep by all sorts of nonsense. And so um, what I want to start with this week is just talk about how we get put to sleep. And, and I think there are three ways. There's the anesthesia of deceit. There's rootlessness. And then there's just an old school choke out. Right? Those are the three ways Christians fall asleep to the point where they're dead and there's no life and you can't tell any difference. Let's start with the anesthesia of deceit. In the narrative uh, that, that we as Christians, um, we, we believe about the creation of the world, or let me let's say this, where we came from, is that out of the overflow of love in the triune God, power spills out onto the canvas of nothing and everything that exists is created, right? And that that love, so powerful, so rich, so infinite, when God spoke that the universe come into existence, it has not only obeyed that, but it's continuing to expand in every direction to this very moment. And everything you see and all that we know came from an overflow of this love. So it wasn't like other fanciful ancient Near East mythologies about how we came to be, or even more modern fanciful uh, kind of explanations of where we came from. It wasn't born out of violence. It wasn't, there wasn't divine war. There wasn't a goddess that let out, and I'm not lying, Babylonian let out some gas, and that gas became, I mean, it's fanciful silliness. No, out of an overflow of perfect love 
spilled everything that we see and know and would call creation, right? That, that's the story. And then we read this about you and I as human beings, like where did we come from? This is one of the big questions around philosophy and religion. Here's what we read in Genesis 2, 15 and 17. And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of evil, or garden of Eden, that's chapter three, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here we are, perfectly innocent, not perfect, innocent. You tracking with me? Like Adam, it's not perfection, it's innocence. Naked and unashamed, that has less to do with nudity and everything to do with the state of their souls. Nothing to hide, no shame. And he puts him in this garden, this epic garden, and says, all of it's yours, all of it. Eat from every tree you see, except this one. If you eat from this one, you're gonna die. That's why I made so many others. Feast, explore, enjoy, every tree is yours but not this one. This one will kill you, right? So that, that's broad, that's generous, that's wow. This whole thing, all of it. There's only two of us, yep, for now. And then the next question is not, where did we come from, but what happened to us? <laughs> like, I don't care what your philosophical or religious beliefs are. Nobody's looking at the world right now going, humanity's killing this thing. I mean, maybe you are, but you mean it not ironically, uh, right? Like, nobody's looking at how far we've come. I, I think the, one, of the, one of the reasons that there's such hopelessness and angst in the day and age in which we live is the Enlightenment promised us progress. And in the next, it was the bloodiest century the world's ever saw after that. And so now there's no progress, so what in the world's going on? So Genesis 3 helps us understand, hey, this is what's wrong. And that matters because you can't solve what's wrong if you don't know what's wrong, right? So you've got... Broad, generous, all of it is yours. And then Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, tree, the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did you see the ploy? Did you see the anesthesia of deceit? Notice that the serpent doesn't go right at the woman. You hungry? Got something for you to eat. He doesn't offer her at all. That's not the end. That's not how you get put to sleep. It's not directly, hey, would you like a bite of this? It's a lie. It's deceit. Let me go back and highlight it. God says to the man and woman, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. So think about that is, that is broad. That is generous. The serpent shows up and says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice it went from God's offer of broad and generous to the enemy's accusation of narrow and restrictive. Did you see it? He doesn't come right at her with the fruit. He comes at her with an accusation against the character of God. 
He is not good. He doesn't know what's best. You know what's best. And he's trying to keep you from the thing that you want. And in that moment, she sees that it's good for food and lovely at sight. And she goes and she takes and she eats. He doesn't come with the fruit. He comes with an accusation against God. And one of the ways we get put to sleep and put to sleep, some of us, so bad we die is because we inhale this anesthesia to the point that it's deadly. And, and here's, here's how it works. And this is like, man, I felt the weight of this, just trying to write this this week and, and, and trying to plead when I know I have no power to wake you up. What I have seen over the last 25 years here, and I've got three friends in it right now, is life is hard, man. I mean, it's just hard. If you get tired of me saying that, you're going to hate this church because I don't know how to like pretty it up for you. This is a long run. There's a reason why the early church called out Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Life is hard. And what happens if you're not careful and life is hard, you are going to begin to, if you're not careful, listen to this whisper. It won't be, uh, turn your back on God. It won't be, the whisper will be, God doesn't know what's best for you. He's holding out on you. Why would he, like what you desire is good. Why would he not want to give you that? He, he will begin to whisper, not take a bite of the fruit. No, he'll accuse God. And I'm telling you, man, I'm just seeing, I'm watching a couple of friends do it right now. You steep in that long enough, you'll start finding reasons to distance yourself from God and his people. So what you do, here's how I've seen it most frequently happen. You'll find or identify some kind of niche theology to argue about. You just be like, I don't understand that. I don't get this. I don't. It's a secondhand issue. It has nothing to do with orthodoxy. You just kind of start staring at this. Well, if God did, and you start making accusations against God, that's madness. Even if you don't like this nuance, like, what are you, are you taking God to court? Like, who's arguing your side? Is shaking your fist at God going to land the plane like you want it? And so what happens is now they, this is all they want to talk about with their Christian friends. Like, well, you know, if God, this, this little thing right here, I don't care. And they pull and they pull and they pull and then they're gone. And they start blaming God for not giving them things that God never promised to give them. It's wild. And it happens subtly and over a long period. This is not a fast move. The enemy has no need to move quickly with us. We'll spot him if he moves quickly. But boy, if he just kind of sneaks up on us, just like takes our eyes off Jesus, starts putting it on all the other stuff, it's just like, just get sleepy. And what the enemy wants to do is have you start counting back from 100. 99, 98 questioning his character, his goodness, his grace, out, sound asleep. And the enemy doesn't need to destroy you at all if you're asleep. That's not the only way. Another way um, is with rootlessness. Jesus tells this great parable of the sower and his seeds, and he scatters these seeds out, and he starts talking about um, how you get put to sleep, right? And the first, re- the, the first one would be rooted, rootlessness. So this is Matthew 13, 20 through 21. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. 
And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I was reading a book this past week by Tyler Stanton, who's a pastor up in Portland, just epic book on prayer. And he says, everybody in our culture separates young love and old love. Do you know what I mean by that? Like young love, like, oh my gosh, that's just, it's like what every romantic comedy is about, even though one of them's lying, it's going to come out, just tell the truth and let's end this, this movie an hour earlier, right? It's young love. It's, oh my gosh, there's no fault in you. It's young love. It's awesome. We love it. We love to feel it. Super emotional. It's, ugh, it's awesome. <laughs> and then our culture loves old love. Two 80-year-olds holding hands, still crazy about each other. We, we love that. You know what hardly anybody talks about? That, <laughs> that, because this crashes on the rocks of this and dies and never gets to this, or it chooses every day to keep moving towards and it survives. And what is being highlighted to us in another way we get put to sleep, and this is, you can go through the Old Testament and see this everywhere. You can see the warning of it here in Jesus, and you can actually watch the church at Ephesus die on this in Revelation 2. You can watch their birth in Acts 18 and 19. You can watch their death in Revelation 2. It's just a really sad situation. And, and, that's, and here's Paul going, wake up! And so what you have happening in here is everyday fidelity as the power of endurance. As the power of endurance. You can build your life, and I'm talking about your life with Jesus, in the truth of his word, in the complexities of his community, or you can build it on platitudes and make-believe fairy wishes about what he was like. But this passage says, this is, this is what this passage says. It's actually, it's a good translation in the ESV, but, but it literally means when tribulations come, they fall away. It actually means to have contempt for. It's like when bad things happen, you think God owes you, so you get angry with him. And you started out with joy. You had this, this moment in college, or it was Thursday night at youth camp. You had this moment of brokenness 10 years ago for them, 12, 15 years ago, and you fell on the ground, and you're like, God, help me. And you felt him, like you felt him. And then you just did nothing after that. So you've lived off emotions and, and you've learned to maybe to manipulate your emotions. I mean, listen to some worship music or let me, and you're trying to always manipulate or whip up your emotions. But Jesus tells the story that the house that stands in the storm, it's built on rock, not the shiftiness of sand. And, and so rootlessness leads to sleepiness, to, to be rooted on the day of tribulation is to not hold God in contempt, but lean into his provision to make it through. God doesn't promise you no pain. He promises to be with you in it. Right? It's, like you're, it's coming. If you hadn't already had it, it's coming. And if you're in some now, there's more coming. Which leads me to the next one. By the way, let me just give this quote because it's in my notes. This is C.S. Lewis. Relying on God must begin again every day as though nothing had been done before. How crazy is that? Great, you made it yesterday? Praise God, let's get up, let's, let's go again tomorrow. Oh, yesterday you, you got in the book and you, and you prayed and you clung to him and you walked with your Christian friends and you made it? Praise God, let's get up and go again tomorrow morning. Mercies are new, tank will be filled in the morning. Right, it, it's this kind of the long journey home idea of our faith. 
that if we're not careful is getting replaced with the Ephesian day and age, emotion and cheer party and woo. It's not always that. Tyler in his book said this. this is, I think he's overstating for effect, tongue in cheek, but fidelity's boring. Fidelity's boring. I get up at five, I open up my Bible at, the, uh, at our kitchen island. The number of times the Holy Spirit's overwhelmed me in that moment is, it's not a good hit rate. But every once in a while he shows up. And what he's always doing, whether I know it or not, is expanding my capacity for endurance. So, man, you're, you're in it. Listen, I know we're coming up on February. I know you're moving out of Genesis and on into Exodus. With full view, the Leviticus is coming. Sometimes the, I don't feel anything, is expanding your capacity for intimacy. Let the Spirit stretch that stuff out. Make you a container able to hold more. And then the last one is what Jesus calls the choke. This is Matthew 13, 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So you've got the anesthesia, right, of deceit. God's not good. He's not delivering on his promises. He's not. Then you've got rootlessness. I have done nothing to let my roots grow deep into this thing so that when tribulation comes, not if, but when it comes, I'll hold fast. Now, this one is all together. It's literally like it's... Like something is putting you to sleep. Oh, I forget. Good techniques. Like I got to have my shoulder on this. Right? Like that, like something's putting you to sleep. And there's two things in particular, he says, that put you to sleep as Christians too. And here's what they are. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Let's talk about the cares of this world. Um, The the cares of this world are always going to revolve around uncertainty and anxiety. Here, look at me. The only thing that's certain in life is uncertainty. Remember 2020? Anybody have big plans for 2020? Like for your business, for your personal life, for your family, like a big old plans for 2020. And I would just have to go for you. Like, like we are fragile and small and uncertainty is certain for us all. And he's saying uncertainty and anxiety that's dwelled on and owned chokes us out. Like, think about this. It's not that, oh, I have uncertainty because I totally have uncertainty. Like, I got plans for this year. I mean, I've got goals and I've got plans for here, for my house, for my own personal being. I have zero control over that. And if I give myself over to dwelling on that, all the uncertainty that I can't control, Lauren or my kids or or, or you or, 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 you know, I, I just can't control anything despite my deep desire to control things. Like if I give myself over to that uncertainty, if I give myself over to anxiety, it chokes out life it literally slowly strangles it out of you and and so there's a way that there's a place for us to take uncertainty 
And there's a place for us to take anxiety. My fear is that you and I, steeping in Ephesus, and we don't live in Ephesus, right? We, our culture is not like this. To do business here, you don't necessarily have to go uh, to a, a temple where there's kind of gross sexual perversion going on, but there are other things like it. We don't have to live in Ephesus anymore because Ephesus is in our pocket. You're scrolling through Ephesus. You know when you get in bed with your spouse and you're scrolling through Ephesus before you go to bed? Wake up in the morning scrolling through Ephesus when you get up in the morning. I'm not anti-tech. I'm not even anti-social media. I'm saying we are steeping in it more than we think and we're being lulled more than we think we are. And, and here he's saying, if you give in to the uncertainty is paralyzing me, my lack of control is angering me. If you give in to the rampant anxiety of our day, you are being choked out. You are being put to sleep. And then the last one is not riches, but the deceitfulness of riches. You tracking with me? Like, nor does the Bible condemn riches, only the love of riches, or in this case, the deceitfulness of riches. And so the deceitfulness of riches actually works in two different directions. And this is why in the middle of your Bible, there's five books called the wisdom literature. And it, the, the bookends on it are Job and Ecclesiastes. And here's why. Because Job lost everything. And he found out God was enough. And Solomon had everything and found out it was vanity and worthless. And you need both because the poor man gets into the misleading of riches by thinking, if I just had more, my life would work. If I just had more, my life would work. Forgetting about that early church father, Father P. Diddy, who said, more money, more problems. <laughs> But the wealthy, the deceitfulness of riches for the wealthy works in two ways. One, there's a confidence in the wealth that renders their heart not hungry for the things of God. A sense of control and power via their money where they don't have to or they don't feel like they have to throw themselves on his mercy. They can, they can busy themselves with more trivial things that can numb them from their deepest need. Or there's the belief among the wealthy, if they just didn't have all this money, life would be simpler. Both are the deceitfulness of riches, and Jesus says, that'll choke the life out of you. That'll put you to sleep. That'll knock you unconscious and make you look dead. Tim Keller um, asked these nine questions. He calls them literally nine questions for sleepy Christians. <laughs> such a Jedi. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I've got homework for you. It's, it's 25 minutes, 30 minutes top of homework for, let's call it the week, but I would try it this afternoon uh, before the games. I know who I'm talking to. I know I'm in Texas, the largest religion in the state. And so uh, let, me, let me start walking through these questions. And these questions are meant to be a kind of spiritual MRI. Like, are you asleep? Have these things happened? Have you been choked out? Do you at a base? And I'm telling you, a lot of this stuff is not, it's not front of mind. It's not cognitive. Like you just start to get angrier and more jaded. You just start to distance yourself from church and people who love the Lord. You start hyper fixating on either some problem in your life or some niche theology that you're starting to grow frustrated with God around. And I'm telling you, he's so good at what he does. He's just a slow glacier, Christian murdering son of a gun. 
So nine questions. Here's the first one. How real has God been this week in your heart? Just how real has God been in your heart? How clear and vivid is your assurance and certainty of God's forgiveness and fatherly love? Hard to fall asleep when you're fully aware of forgiveness and fatherly love. Now, I'm going to post this and we're going to email it to you, but break out those phones and let's take a picture so you can do it this afternoon. I won't, I won't be able to move that fast. You want those first three? Everybody got those first three? I do want to say I'm seeing a lot of androids here. We'll have to address that later. Um, not today. That'll be in a sermon later on. I'm sure that text's amazing and that camera's great. You're killing our group chats, all right? But go ahead and get a picture of these first three. Here's number three. Are you having any particular seasons of sweet delight in God? Do you really sense his presence in your life? Have you been finding scripture to be alive and active? Are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious and encouraging? And because Keller's a wizard, he says, which ones? Are you finding God challenging you and calling you to something through the word? In what ways? Are you finding God's grace more glorious and moving now than you have in the past? And then last question, number nine. Are you conscious of a growing sense of evil in your heart and in response, a growing dependence on the grasp of the preciousness of the mercy of God. Nine questions in MRI. Have I fallen asleep? What's at stake? Here's what's at stake. The Apostle Paul ends the quote from Isaiah by adding this, and Christ will shine on you. What's at stake? Life and light. John 1, 4, and 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Where's light in life? In Christ. Where is it not? When you're asleep. So the, the cry from heaven to wake up is a cry to light and life. It's not punitive. It's not, oh my gosh, you fell asleep? He knows it's scary to be us. He knows we're weak and frail. He knows we're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It's the whole story of his people. That's why he didn't root us in the law, but in the cross. So there'd be grace to go, oh, buddy, you fell asleep again, but the house is on fire. You got to get up. Gosh, you drifted off again, and, and, and there's no Red Bull here. I'm going to need you to just get up. Just get your face on it. Look, look at me. So I have Heather pinned to the couch. And I'm trying to scream, and I can't, I can't get my voice to work. I just, oh, and I've got my hair, and I'm just filled with terror myself, and I'm shaking her, and she won't wake up. And I hear my mom's door open. This, I was home from college. I'd never been a part of this. This has been going on for a while, so my mom knew what was happening. I, I wish somebody had looped me in as I came home <laughs> Christmas break. Mom, if you're watching, thank, a little heads up would have been nice. And, um, and mom opened up her door, and she went, Heather, 
And she popped right up and the screaming stopped. Hebrews 3.15 says this, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. And he's talking back to another time when the people of God had fallen asleep after many signs and wonders led them out of slavery in Egypt, how quickly they fell right back asleep. So here's what I want to do. With no eye closed and no head bowed and no lights being dimmed, I, I want to just ask the question, like how many of you, like for the good of your own soul, would just right now be like, oh, crud, I think I've fallen asleep, man. I, I, I think it's happened. I didn't even realize it. Like I'm, I'm so mad at God right now. I didn't even know that it happened to me. I didn't realize what was happening because you've, you fall asleep. Some of you are really slow. Some of you go to sleep quickly, but this is more the idea of lulling, right? Like hypnotizing, like soft music in the background, warm chairs. And I wonder, like, even as we walked through this, if you, you felt the spirit like pressing down on you, like, oh, dang, I'm, I'm asleep. I don't have any root, and I, I do hold God in contempt right now. I do feel like he betrayed me. I do feel like, and, or maybe you're just, that, that's not at all. You just feel so much crud is going on in your life right now. You just feel like you're just getting choked out. And you're, you're kind of awake like in fake wrestling where, you know, your hands kind of, you know, and, but you're just like, man, I'm, I, if, I don't, if this chokehold doesn't break off of me, I'm, I'm out. How many of you right now are like, dang it, I'm, I see myself right now. I'm, I'm half asleep. Anybody just would have the courage God, look around. See what happens to us? It just happens so quick, and he's so good, and I hate him so much. Now, praise God. What was that, 80 of you, more? Like, how much does the Lord love you? He's just moved towards you. Like, you're here today. Like, what are you, like a once a month or a couple times a month, a lot going on in life? And you came today on Awake and Alive Day? Just so the Lord go, hey, house is on fire, but I know you can't smell the smoke yet. I got you. I love you. You hear him? That's you, that's you, right? The, those things you were saying to me earlier in the car under your breath, I, I heard you. And here, here I'm moving towards you. I love you. I know it's like, man, I know it. I know what a choke feels like. I got you. Come here. Come here. I'm going, just come here. Let's get up. Let's, get on, let's turn on the lights. Let me give you a little Holy Ghost Red Bull. Let's, let's get going here. Let's, let's wake back up. Let's get our eyes back up. Don't, don't let them trick you like that. I know it's dark in here. It's hard to see. Let's get those lights on. Like there'll be nothing over the course of the next nine weeks where I meant to make you feel guilty or shameful. Every one of these is an invitation into something that's for you. Next week, we're gonna talk about the gospel. Do you know that the gospel primarily is preached in the Bible to Christians and not non-Christians? And then we're gonna talk about courage, like, like wake up to courage. And we're gonna talk about beauty and goodness, not giving into the cynicism and, and hyper-focus on everything that's broken. What's it like to be people marked by the optimism of look at all this beauty and goodness? We're going to wake up to the truth, wake up to, to mission, wake up to presence and power. Like, what does it look like for us as a community? You're like, oh my gosh, wide awake in all of this. But for now, man, there's so many of you just like, dang it. I'm... And then I think more of you this afternoon, if you start getting into these nine questions, 20 minutes for the good of your own soul and your future, just sat down and answered them honestly, just between you and the Lord. Because you can't lie to him like you lie to your spouse. Somebody's like, oh no, this Wednesday, power in my life. Uh, but you and the Lord? Because the Lord would be like, I don't remember Tuesday. What, what was happening then? What does it look like? Just 20 minutes to just go, am I, am I, am I out while the house burns? I don't smell any smoke, but am I out? Am I, am I, am I getting choked right now? 
Am I giving in to some things slowly like a glacier crushing me? If you raise your hand earlier, will you just do me this favor? Just cup your hands out in front of you. Nobody's going to put anything in it physically, I don't think. But here's what I want to do. I'm pumped for you because there was just an intervention for your soul. You doubt the fatherly love for you? What just happened? I don't know you. I don't know your story. I mean, I know some of you in here, but like, gosh, what just happened? Tell me he didn't just go, I got you. Hey, hey, hey. So, gosh, where do we get to go now? I don't know, but we're awake. It'll be fun to follow him and find out. Right? Okay, you, you cup your hands. I, I'm just, by the grace of God, praying some power into that. All right? You cup them, I'll pray. Oh, Father, bless these men and women. Sheesh. Gosh, you love us. Here we are sleeping again, just like your disciples at Gethsemane. It caught us quick. We didn't see it, didn't sense it. We're weak, but you're strong. We fall asleep, but you never do. You do not sleep, nor do you slumber. So you move towards us this morning. Thank you. We just praise you. With our hands open, we just praise you like you came for us. You didn't leave us laying there to be burned up in a house to the ground. You came and you grabbed us again. You grabbed us at our conversion. Here you are again. Thank you that you just keep moving towards us, that you won't leave us alone. Thank you. Even when we wanted to be left alone, you refused. So thank you. Just pray joy to wash over my brothers and sisters. We hate, hate letting you down, letting ourselves down. We, we hate these moments of conviction. So I, I just pray that you'd rewire us in this moment to see conviction really as a gift, an invitation, an act of love where there are others that, man, they don't, I don't know how this is landing yet. I just pray if they, this afternoon, just go 20 minutes here, that you would meet them in a profound way. We want to be awake and alive fully. We, that's not about our might or strength. That's about your goodness and grace. And so help us. We need you. Thank you for ringing the alarm, shaking our souls back awake. We look forward to just kind of hanging out with you, following you. What are we doing for the rest of the day? Thank you. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.